Hello and welcome to the Refuge Church Podcast, where we long to see the lost saved, the saved transformed, and the transformed sent. For more information on how you can be a part of Refuge Church, join us on Sunday mornings in Jacksonville at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. or visit our website at refugejackschurch.com. In this week's podcast, we are continuing our sermon series through Luke. Thank you for listening. Uh, Luke chapter 15. Um, I heard this week from uh, someone that goes to refuge. They said that they met their, their prayer group met this week and uh, last week, anyway, this week. Um, I get all that so mixed up. <laughs> so, but they met and it was so encouraging. Uh, they said a couple things kind of came out that week. They said um, real community uh, was one of the phrases that real community was found, um, that belonging was found. Um, they said there was this kind of this moment in the group that and they didn't share any names, so they just said there was this kind of moment in the group where they felt some connectedness that they had not connected with in a while or felt in a while. And if you, if you think on our lives the last, I mean, what, three years, um, two years with, with COVID and whatnot, I think it's really easy to get, um, man, just out of place and trying to find your place again. So listen, part of the reason uh, we have these prayer groups that we started and talked about a lot back in January and you're going to continue to hear about is, is, is I and we really believe that this is a great place, uh, one of the best places maybe for you to find community um, with other believers, which you need in your life. And also it's an opportunity um, and for you to commune with God, both kind of corporately but individually as well. And I just think these are a big deal. I know that, man, every church has different kind of groups, and then we just feel like the Lord has led us to do this. So uh, if you're not in a group uh, and you want to start a group or you need help finding a group or you have questions or you have, like, no clue what I'm talking about, um, then please uh, find me or Stephen after the service. We'd love to help you get plugged in. Uh, regarding prayer groups, today at 4, uh, Tony, if I'm, Tony, am I still right? Tony's going to lead a prayer group here at the church uh, starting today, uh, 4 p.m., Next week, that's what I said, it'll start next Sunday at 4 p.m., my bad, Tony, that's right, April, you're right, so um, there it is, so next Sunday, so if you have kind of not found a prayer group that's been hard for you to connect in, uh, you don't know what to do, or you just want to kind of see one, Tony's going to be leading one at 4 p.m. when our students meet uh, down the hall in one of the classrooms next Sunday, so we'll uh, make sure to get in front of you. Also, this Friday, uh, the Corrells, who are teaching some of your kids right now, um, are going to start a new thing. You'll get an email about it this week, and I'll just kind of tease it real quick. But they want to once a month gather with families, so like not opposed to your children, them in another room while you pray, but with your children um, and to have a prayer experience together, kind of a first Friday thing. They're going to use the ministry center. You'll see an email about that this week. But uh, man, just more and more opportunities for us to gather and to pray together, uh, continue to build community, but more importantly, to continue to meet with the Lord and together. So Luke chapter 15, uh, no good way to segue. So last, uh, we've been going through Luke for a while, um, and, and we're kind of towards the end. Uh, we're going to hit Easter at Easter, the Easter story, and then the Sunday after Easter, April 24th, will be our last Sunday in uh, Luke. Uh, we're going to miss some spots. You're just going to notice that in the next couple of weeks. Uh, men, continue to read through, continue to take notes. You have a journal, continue to take some notes. Um, those things are really, really important. Um, but today, I wanted to take a few more minutes to talk through the prodigal, the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, last Sunday, um, I mean, I, I just, I think was really encouraging. It was encouraging for me. And so what I want to do is oftentimes um, we, we take specifically this account, this parable by Jesus. So Jesus is teaching through parables and he's teaching to really religious people right here, kind of Pharisees. And he's saying, hey, he gives this story. And if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll focus all of our attention on the younger son, the kind of one that goes buck wild, because um, it's kind of an easy one to go look at that crazy guy. And we'll miss 
Man, the profoundness of the older son. So last week, we began a study of the prodigal son. We talked about the younger son. We talked about his rejection to the father. If you weren't here, man, you can read this later. We're going to read it again in a few minutes. I think you'll get caught up. Um, We talked about his running away to a faraway land. We talked about what we see today is how he blew his inheritance on immoral things, how he ended up homeless, hungry. The word we used last week was destitute. Um, I mean, the pastor says he came home shoeless. He remembered how good a father he had, it says at one point, I think in verse 17, it says he came to himself and he returned home to his father. And his father didn't just receive him back, but celebrated his return by throwing an epic party. So I want to read uh, what we covered last week and then jump into the rest of it. So if you'll start in verse 11 with me, uh, Luke chapter 15, it says, And he said, there was a man, so Jesus is telling this parable, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. What we said last week is this is equivalent to going to his father and saying, Father, die and give me my inheritance. Like it is that powerful of a demand. But his father doesn't. It says that he divided his property between them. Now, many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired out, him, hired out to himself one of the citizens of the country who sent him to the, to, into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose, and he came to his father while he was still a long way off. Don't miss verse 20, man. It says his father saw him a long way off, felt compassion, ran to him, embraced him, kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. So we covered this last week. We, we said that the dad is going to say in the next verse, for my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he is found, and they began to celebrate. Good reason to celebrate. And we started with this question last week. This is very simple. I mean, like we can teach it to kids, and we can teach it to ourselves. Does God really love me? And really the, the, the point of, of the beginning of this parable is really the answer to that question. Does God really love me? I believe this question resonates deep in my heart, but I believe that most of the world, including you and I, men, men wrestle with this question on levels we don't realize often. Does God really love me? Could he really love me? Why does God love me? And the account of the prodigal son is one of the most powerful illustrations of God's love for you and for for me. One of the ways God demonstrates or shows his love to you and I is through our return to him. When we choose to sin, whether we run off immorally or, or just kind of take a, take a left turn, when we choose to sin, when we run and when we doubt and we have little faith, even struggle, listen, we aren't rejected, yet we have a father who this parable teaches is longing, waiting, and even watching for our return. The father loves me so 
He shows me every time I return to him. That was the point of the song we just sang. He holds on to me. It's not how strong is my grip to him, but it's the fact that his grip will never let go of me. And his response to me every time I return is not shame or guilt. And his disposition is always compassion. Our heavenly father displays a love for us every time we return to him through compassion, kindness, gentleness, and his love is exhaustive. It never runs out. Like, his, do, you, like do you realize his patience with us never runs out? So, so the example of this is Wednesday, one of my kids celebrated a birthday. If you're around him today, he's going to tell you, okay? He's not living it down. We're going to be talking about next week. I just, not because we did anything great, just because it's his birthday and that's who he is and he's five, right? And so, but on that birthday, Wednesday, he comes home from school. We give everybody a few cupcakes, we open a few presents, and all of a sudden, now there's five kids in my home, it's bananas. Like, we've got cake on the wall. I don't know how that happened. I didn't do it. I have to clean it up, though, because I live there and bought the house, right? Two kids are yelling for no reason. They're not happy or sad or angry. They're just yelling. Like, do your kids do this, right? One's literally running around the kitchen area just in a circle, just screaming. I don't know why these two, I mean, cupcakes, right? One's crying. One got slapped, and I'm going, how many kids do we have? Like, what is happening right now? And I looked at Beth, and she looks at me, and everybody's doing this. And I had this moment, and I was like, and, and just be, I snapped. I was like, okay, everyone, shut up. And then I did this thing. I don't know if you do this if you have kids. I'm not angry, right? I was clearly angry, all right? This is just too much. Then I looked at Beth. Beth, I'm going downstairs, right? I just need a minute. And I got downstairs, and like I could still hear footsteps and noises, which didn't help. But I went outside, and I was like, my word, just cupcakes? And it was like, and, and man, I was thinking about this morning, man, I couldn't handle a few hours of cake and a sugar high, just being very clear with you, but where man's patience runs out so quickly, hear me, God's patience never runs out with you and I. Like, my patience runs out because of some cupcakes. I wish it didn't. I wish I was stronger and better, but it does. But God's patience never runs out on you and I. The account of the younger son is sort of an act one in the parable. So Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, would say, but maybe the most powerful for the church is Act 2, which is the account of the older son. If you read ahead, you already know. But last week we asked this question, does God really love me? Here's the question I want to present this week. Man, do I really love God? Do I really love God? This is kind of the question of the older son. Does he love the father? The longer I'm a Christian and a pastor, the more these two questions are the questions of, I think, most souls' longings. Does God love me and do I love God? Look at verse 24 with me. So we, we know what has happened. We just read the son is home. They're throwing a party. Verse 24, for my son was dead and he is alive. Again, he was lost and he is found and they began to celebrate. And please know two super important things. This would have been the greatest day, most commentators said, uh, greatest day of the father's life, maybe even beyond his own wedding, because his son who was gone had returned home. And then there's this thing where it says they, and it's going to say it like three times, and, and it doesn't really translate well. I, I don't think any of you have a fattened calf at home that you're waiting for a wedding or a party to throw. If you do, let's talk. I'd love to hear more about that. But like, it says multiple times that he, they go and get a fattened calf, they kill it. And eat it. Now, you may not know this, but simply put, in this time, they didn't eat a lot of meat. Maybe once or twice a year would they eat meat, mostly at weddings or celebrated events. It was just too expensive so killing the fattened calf was a sign that something was happening in the home worth celebrating like never before. 
Like, you've got to see the, the epicness of this. They didn't just go, let's kill the fattened calf and have some meat. They went, wow, this is like, and when you do that, you invite the whole community. Like, people come to celebrate with you. You don't even know. They're using your bathroom. They're eating your food. And you don't even know them. Like, this is that kind of rare celebration. I was, man, um, about six or seven years ago, five years ago, I don't remember the timeline, but somebody gave us a gift card to one of these, uh, could we use the word bougie, restaurants that, like, Beth and I don't tend to go to. We're kind of like Chick-fil-A, High Tide Burrito. That's kind of our place. We're happy there. We like that. We're totally comfortable there. We don't go beyond that. We like that. And because we have five kids, we just eat at home because it's way easier, okay? Then I don't have to yell in public. I don't have to get disqualified as a pastor because I yelled in public. To hear your pastor yelled in public. Like, none of that has to happen, right? And so we just eat. I don't yell that much, to be clear. But all that to say, man, man, we got this gift card to this restaurant. It was one of those that you had to, I had to wear a coat to. Um, you, you see me. This is how I am all the time. So I had to put on a coat, had to put on slacks. Um, we, we had to call and make reservations. Again, not in my wheelhouse. So I called, hey, I'm Josh. Like, I'm usually pretty good in front of people, but I'm like stammering on the phone. Hey, hey I'm Josh. And I had to make reservations. And we go there, and there's like a, a card on the table with our name reserved for the glimpse. And I was like, that's a first, you know. And so we sit down, and we order the food. And, um, and like, I remember getting the menu. There's like no prices on the menu, and I'm a little nervous. I just, can we be honest? Like, I'm a little nervous. I'm going, I don't know what to do. We only have this much on the gift card. And then this steak comes. And, and about halfway through, Beth looks at me and goes, are you okay? And, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I was not even a part of the date anymore. Like, I was just in this steak in a way like I'd never been in a steak before. And she's like, is your steak good? And I went, mm-hmm. You know, you just have these moments in life, right? And so when you think about the fattened calf, this is what's happening. Like, it is a moment that doesn't happen all the time. It is rare that this happens. Verse 25, now the older son was in the field, and he came and he drew near to the house. And look what it says, he heard music and dancing. Like, imagine driving home. Like, put your feet in his shoes. You're driving home, and before you get home, you hear the music and you hear the dancing. That's a party. Like, that's a party. I've never partied like that, I don't think, okay? But in the field. And then where's the older son? He's in the field working for the father, and as he draws near to the house, he hears this. I mean, can you imagine this scenario? I mean, before you can see the house, you hear the party. You show up, and that fattened calf has been killed, and people are swinging from the chandeliers. It is celebration. Can I just ask you this for a second? You pull up to your house, and that's happening. What are you thinking? What do you think? You're going, wait, what? Nobody asked me? Like, my house is on the, like, my name's on the bill. Like, nobody asked me? You might do this. This is what I would do. I'd just be vulnerable with you for a few minutes, because I think it's important to be vulnerable. I would go there. Here's what I would go. This must be for me. Somebody finally took notice. Here's what I would do, just being real honest. Finally, my moment. I deserve this. Everybody that knows me finally realized how great I am. There's a joke there, to be clear. And they threw me a party. But what's not a joke is this, is in our souls, and then we get these whispers, these tempting whispers of, you deserve this. And my, my soul would totally go, you deserve that party. They're doing that for you. And I would begin to, man, if I'm not careful, I'd begin to believe things like, I've been such an extraordinary child of God that my hard work is finally paying off. Now listen, I don't, I don't think that, that, that voice is a megaphone. I think it's a whisper. And I think it starts as a whisper. And I think it says things like, no one sees how much you do, how much you serve, how much you work. Josh, no one sees how much you do in ministry. They don't see the phone calls and the texts. 
And here's what I know, that that whisper, if given the chance, will become full-on megaphone of entitlement in my heart. And in that moment, if I allow it to, my ministry or my serving is no longer for me, excuse me, is no longer about the Father, but is starting to become about me. And when my serving or my ministry is not about the Father, it becomes fruitless and joyless. And where joy lacks in ministry and serving, that should be a red flag to us. Man, that, that resentment and bitterness are around the corner and I need to check myself. I might need some help. Man, every week, if you're aware in your own social media even a little bit, it seems like a new story is published about a church that has leadership problems or has encountered leadership problems. And there are some in our community right now walking through this. And so much of that, hear me, is when leaders to begin to believe their own hype. The choice in ministry and in serving, no matter how big or how small your platform is, no matter what your life looks like and the scope of your service, the scope of your ministry, I mean, the choice is this. Man, man, again, no matter the capacity, am I trying to make a name for myself or am I trying to point back to Jesus? Because the temptation is to say, I'm awesome. I did that. I do a lot. But the truth is I'm not awesome. Any good done, and he did it. So we continue, verse 26, and begin to see the character of the son. And he called one of the servants, and he asked, what do these things mean? He's doing that thing where he already knows the truth, but he wants somebody to kind of like do it with him, right? So there's a party. Why is there a party? Like, what's going on, right? He's, he's kind of playing that game, but he's also kind of revealing his heart. He's realized, surely, that the party's not for him. He wonders why he didn't know such a big celebration is going on. Listen, ready? He knows his father's resources and his father's money are being used at this party. And that's significant because that's his inheritance to come. It's being squandered at a party. You begin to see the older brother's heart, do you not? Verse 27. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And your brother has returned, your father has killed the fattened calf and is throwing a party for everyone to see that his son has returned safe and sound. And the older brother is shocked. He's hurt. Look at verse 28. You're going to see exactly how he feels. But he was angry and he refused to go in. I mean, there's anger, like, at probably righteous things, like righteous anger. And then there's this, this, no. He was angry, and he refused to go in. But not only that, his father had to come out of the party, leave the celebration to go and deal with his older son, the one who had always been faithful. Listen, he refused to go to the celebration. Now the older son is attempting to shame his father. If you remember back to the, to the, to the man, last week, the, old, the father... When the younger son comes home homeless and destitute, he covers his shame with his robe and his shoes and his ring. And now the older son is attempting to throw shame on the father. The older son is ruining the celebration. The older son is taking the attention off the father and his, treat, and his treatment of the younger son and placing it on himself. There's this incredible picture of grace for the entire community to see. Look at what the father is doing for the younger son. And here goes the older son pitching a fit in the corner. And now all the attention is moved from the, the incredible account of grace onto the older son. 
He disagrees with the Father. He dishonors the Father. He refuses to share in the Father's happiness. And get this, you read through this, he refused to acknowledge or welcome his brother back. He hated this guy. Um, a, a pastor named Thabiti Anabwile said this, the proud and the self-righteous always feel that they are not treated as well as they deserve. Y'all, I read that and just like had to stop doing prep for a little while. Because that stings. The proud and the self-righteous always feel that they are not treated as well as they deserve. The Thabiti continues in saying, just like the Pharisees and the religious rulers with Jesus, how easy is it to imagine the older brother saying to the father, this man, my father, receives a sinner and eats with him. Remember who Jesus is talking to, the Pharisees. And then it says his father, in that same verse, verse 28, his father entreated him is the word. That word, you do a little work, a little Greek, centered, you know, shout out, um, implored, urged, begged. The father is trying to get the son to see what he can't see. The father is not giving up on him and is even offering him the same thing, but the son can't see it because of his own resentment, his own bitterness. Verse 29, but he answered the father. I want you to look at this answer. I need you to see this. Like, it's easy to dismiss this and go, that guy's a terrible person. Like, but listen, but he answered the father. Look, these many years I've served you. And I never disobeyed your command. Can you imagine writing that in your journal tomorrow? Oh, God, thank you for Sunday. Tacos were great. I've never disobeyed a command. Like, if you have kids, at some point your kid's going to look up and go, I never. And you know in that moment, gosh, my kid's a liar. They're a liar. They're a liar. This early. But they're like, you have that moment, do you not? Like, we have had that moment several times. Like, well, look at the son saying, though. All I've done for all these years. What is he saying? Look at what I've done. Look at what I've given up. Look at my faithfulness. The son also answers, I have served you. And we can ask, is he really serving the father if this is his disposition? Probably not, but. But he also says, not like that son of yours. Doesn't call him his brother. I've served you not like others. I've worked my behind off in serving you. No one, here's what he's saying. No one has acted as righteous as I have, father. And then he goes to the, I never disobeyed your command. I never disobeyed. Listen, if, if we don't like realize and, and take into account that we are disobedient, then the grace of God will mean nothing to us. Now, it doesn't mean we wallow around in, in self-pity of a horrible person, but I mean, taking into account that I am a sinner, these are the sins that I've committed. I mean, like, I don't know about you, there are times I'm singing worship songs to Jesus and have a thought that is sinful, and I'm like, what, what is happening right now? Why is that? Like, taking those back to the Lord and going, Lord, this is, it is not about me. I've never disobeyed your command. It's quite a revealing statement. I mean, that you see the pride in the statement, do you not? What is he really saying? There's none, there's no one like me. Where's my party? What about me? What about me? I, mean, I hear that a lot. I think if we're not careful, I know from my own heart, if I'm not careful and, and I look at social media too much, my question becomes, what about me? Where's mine? Even to the point of I might not be willing to trust the Lord and try to find it my own way, right? What about me? Verse 30. Listen to the contempt in this phrase. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. That's harsh. This son of yours, I, I have a brother. I love him. I can't imagine speaking about him in that way. This son of yours. I mean, but beyond that, think of the father hearing one kid speak of his, one son speak of his other son that way. I mean, the contempt, 
What does he say? He says, man, your son devoured your property with prostitutes. You know what that is? That's slander. Oftentimes, when we struggle as Christians, what I perceive and feel and hear is often when we have nothing good to share, we default to slander in a way of sounding righteous, do we not? Yeah, that church does that. That's why I don't go there. That Christian does that. That's why I don't hang it. Like, what are we doing? I mean, slander of brothers and sisters in Christ is often a revealing of our own self-righteousness. In that moment, we're just going pride, pride, pride. We've got to be very careful with how we walk in that. And that's an opportunity for repentance, which we'll get to in a minute. Verse 31, and he said to him, son, you are always with me. Check out this verse. Man, this is us. This is, this is for you and I. Verse 31. He says, son, you are, this is our identity, church. Son, you're a son or a daughter of, of God if you are in Christ. And if this is you, this verse is to you. You are always with me and all that is mine is yours. And if we're not careful, our Western brains will think, man, property and money and physical stuff and not see the spiritual and the emotional and the grace offered in that statement. Son, you are always with me. All that I have is yours. Listen, the older son did not realize what he had. How about this? The older son didn't really want the father. He wanted what the father could offer. He didn't really understand what being a son of the father really meant. And I want you to hear this last phrase, because I think it's us and me so often if I'm not careful. The older son was so close to the father. He just admitted it yet he didn't know the Father at all. Like, I need you to hear me, man. And Jesus, in Matthew 7, kind of talks about this. It is really easy to be really close to salvation, yet never place faith in Christ and die separated from all eternity from God. Listen, the younger son broke all the rules to get what he thought he wanted. That's obvious. The younger son did that. But the older son, the account we just read, followed all the rules to get what he thought he wanted. The younger son left home and became a foreigner. That's obvious. The older son, listen, became a foreigner in his own home. The younger son ran from communion with the father. Again, obvious. The older son was around the father but had no communion with the father. I said one of the reasons, and this is a plug and I'm okay with it, that these prayer groups are important is because you may go one night and haven't prayed in three weeks and be reminded of how important prayer is. Like we're just on our own. We can't do it. We won't make it. The younger son is a very traditional picture of sin. It's obvious. This guy just goes buck wild, wilding out, does his thing. Like it's obvious. But the older son, often not discussed, is also a picture of sin, resentment, pride, self-righteousness. Listen, those are just as dangerous as what the younger brother wrestled with. Anything that keeps us from the father has that same power, right? Both the younger son and the older son want the father's things, we'll see, without wanting the father. And as a result, both sons alienate themselves from the fathers. Listen, from the father. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller, who I read earlier, said this, and this man just really kind of brought it all together for me. He said there are two kinds of lostness in our world. There's the immoral and the irreligious lostness. Like, I don't need God. That's obvious to all people. Like, it's, it's, it's very clear. We see it. Man, I don't need God. Immoral, irreligious, I'm living that way. But there's another one. Another kind of lostness is morality and religion saying constantly that God owes me because I'm such a good person doing so much for him. And this is so easy to hide in the church amongst Christians. And what Tim Keller said is in both of these lostnesses, immoral and irreligious and morality and religion, Jesus no longer is the Savior, you are. So let's not forget the Father. Look at verse 32. 
So the father responds. I mean, how do you respond? Like, one of the things that's crazy about this, and it'll give you a headache, is, and, and I'm just letting you know if you haven't read ahead to verse 33, there is no verse 33. Like, there's zero conclusion. We, like, hit the climax movie in, and you're like, wait, what? Well, hold on. Wait, wh- why are you not telling us what happens? Massive, tense encounter, father, older son, and, like, Jesus just walks off. You're like, well, wait, that's not what I expected. Any of, can you tell me how this guy got saved? Like, they worship Jesus now, and it's amazing. Holy Spirit? I don't know. That was weird. So anyway, listen. It says, verse 32, it was fitting to celebrate, the Father says, and be glad for this here brother who was dead and is alive, who was lost and is found. He says it was fitting. Your brother was dead. That word dead is the word corpse in the Greek. But he says your brother now is alive. That word is zoe. He has a spiritual connotation to it. Your brother was lost, which that verse, right, when he says lost, it means he's deconstructed from the faith. But then the other one is weird too. He says, but your brother is found. That word found is your brother has been exposed. He's been fully exposed both to himself and to the world. And in the end, he returned back to the Father. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. Every time one returns to the Father, there is celebration. Man, if we're not careful, we'll get this idea of repentance as, um, man, God's angry. It's going to be terrible, weeping, gnashing of teeth. But the picture this paints is every time I return and every time I repent, there is celebration. That he is waiting, he is longing, and he is watching for our return. Listen, pride, entitlement, self-righteousness are a great danger to the church and to the Christian. And they're just as dangerous as any other sin out there, man. And these hit close to home. Like, oftentimes we tend to go, there are horrible sins like drugs and affairs and these kind of, like, we kind of, but then there's like, pride's not as bad. No, listen, they are equally as sinful and they equally keep us from the Father. They destroy relationships, they destroy churches. And one of the reasons they're so dangerous like this older son is because they're easy to hide. So repentance is fitting. Hear me and write this down, man. Repentance is, is nothing more than returning to the Father. And in that, there's celebration. The reason this ends the way it does is because of what Jesus already said. He wanted them to go back and remember what he'd said a few minutes ago. Stephen shared it with us a couple weeks ago. Look at Luke 15, back in seven and verses 7 and verses 10. He's already given the answer. Verse 33 is verse 7, is verse 10. I tell you, there will be more joy, verse 7 says, in heaven when one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What is celebrated in heaven is repentance, not righteousness. We celebrate Christ's righteousness because we are not righteous on our own. Repentance is what is celebrated. Repentance shouldn't feel foreign and awful to us. It should be attractive to us as believers. Look at verse 10. He's going to reiterate it. So he says something twice. There's a reason. I want to get your attention. Just so, Jesus says, I tell you, there is joy. And, and circle those words joy so you see it as a joyful thing. There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Listen, church, man, to repent means you remember your sin, but when we remember our sin, we repent, and then there's joy in that. There's celebration in that. A sinner's repentance is good for the sinner's heart. A sinner's repentance should be good for the church's heart and the members of the church. So share your repentance with someone you love. In God's sight, the first sign of repentance requires and, and it brings about celebration from God. Heaven literally celebrates when we repent of our sin and we return to the Father. Repentance, hear me, is for the joy of the church. Like your personal repentance brings joy to the believers in this body. 
Repentance is for our revival. That's we always talk about and pray for and by teachers talk about revival in our, as a Christian culture. Repentance is our revival. That's where it starts. And repentance is for celebration. Again, man, more joy in heaven over one who repents than 99 who are righteous. Man, if you've never heard this, Romans 6 tells us that it is, his, it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. What Satan, the enemy, wants us to think is this shame and guilt and failure will eventually lead you there. They won't, but God's kindness ultimately will. That's why we sang this song last week and we sang it a minute ago. That his grip, no matter how loose yours gets, his grip will never let go of you. It doesn't change. It doesn't loosen a little. He can, he will, and does hold on to you. He will hold us fast, church. We cannot in our own strength, but he will. And when we do run, hide, or fall into a temptation, hear me, church, return. God feels compassion towards you. He wants to celebrate your church in front of all of heaven. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. We're so grateful for these two parallels, these two accounts of two who ran from you in different directions. God, would you help us to find our place in this account and see that return is necessary and good. Man, if you're in the room this morning and and you would like prayer after the service, both Stephen and I will be up front and available and to pray with you, to talk with you. And if you'd like to place faith in Christ, if you need to, for the first time, return to the Father and say, man, Lord, would you save me and forgive me of my sins? Man, we would love to walk you through that. We'll be up here as well. Be glad to talk you through that. God, would you draw us to you this morning as we sing to you? Would we, would we celebrate, God, what you've done for us? God, would you draw us to you? God, we need you and we love you. tuning in to the Refuge Church podcast. For more sermons or to learn how you can give to Refuge, check out our website at refugejackschurch.com. For those who have heard the gospel and believe the gospel, go out living the gospel. You are sent.